0: Nourish and Flourish is a proud supporter of Heritage Radio Network. Nourish and Flourish, handcrafted, ad-free, print and multimedia content from around the world with stunning photography and video. Subscribe at nourishandflourish.site. This week on Meet and 3, we're diving straight no chaser into the delicious crossover of the food and jazz worlds. And I think that sense of nostalgia is what makes it hard to do New Orleans food well because people just have these memories of these dishes. Certainly people from New Orleans, like, you're never going to make, you know, a gumbo as good as their mother or grandmother made, right? Comfort food, you got to get your hands dirty and the jazz the musicians, it's like, it all goes together very well, you know? Check out and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Life's a Banquet, a show about the highs and the lows of all things edible, spreadable, and horrible, with your host, Zara Tangora and Nicole Bailey. What's up? I've been listening to a lot of Louis Prima, so sue me. What's that? Uh, He's just a, a singer from the 60s, Italian. Oh. Um, you know. I didn't... I'm just a gigolo, and everybody knows. <laughs> and then it's like, I <laughs> ain't got nobody. Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> Do you want me to keep singing the whole song? No. I should stop there before yes. we get sued? Okay, great. Um, cool. I like that the lyrics are... I'm just a gigolo and everybody knows. <laughs> I, I mean, it's huh? hard to hide it when you're a gigolo, you just got so much swagger. you the police, so. Swinging a big dick. Yeah, that's right. The police know. But it's fine, because they're men. Corruption. Yeah. Oh, right. I goes, see. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a man of ill repute, but nobody cares. Wow. <laughs> T <SAT> word. <laughs> Ill repute? Mm-hmm. I think it's two words. <clears throat> How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. I had two Thanksgivings—one on Wednesday, one on Thursday. Which did you prefer? Um, I liked both. They're both—they're both different. One was very small. One was in Manhattan. Whoa. If you can believe that. Um, that one had two different kinds of sweet potatoes. Oh, <clears throat> what kinds? Um, just roasted ones. Mm-hmm. Regular, and then mashed with—you know—the one that tastes like basically like dessert. Marshmallows? Like, no, I had like pecan crumble Ooh. on top. Which one did you prefer? I like both. I got both. God damn it, you're so even keeled. <laughs> Pick a favorite. <laughs> and then the other one was more like, like at this one, it was like, not very many people, there's a kid, nobody's drinking. They're like, we have four bottles of wine and you have to drink them all. And I was like, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you do it? No. Okay. And okay. then... Uh, the other one was, like, 17 people, and, like, oh. everyone was drinking a ton of wine, and it was a ton of food and just, like, hanging out. There was pimento cheese. <gasps> mm-hmm. Everybody's, America's favorite cheese. There was pickled shrimp, which obviously isn't my bag, but sounds cute. Oh, that sounds good. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think I've ever had a p- pickled shrimp. The concept sounds good, but I the texture of shrimp is what I don't like. Yeah, you don't like lobster, then, either. <clears throat> no, I don't. What about a cock sandwich? That's pretty much the same texture, I think, as a pickled shrimp. Uh, you mean, like, a chicken sandwich? <laughs> Yes, I do mean a chicken sandwich. (laughs) Thank you. This has been another episode of Life's Banquet. We're going to light the studio on fire. Well, that sounds fun. Pickle, trim, any turkey up in this bitch? Yeah, but I don't care about the turkey. Yeah, I know you. You don't like care about eating. You don't like to eat a meat off of of the bone. Just another song from (laughs) that guy. Yes, that's Louis Prima's other hit. You don't like it to eat of the meat off of the bone. <laughs> and everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows. And nobody likes me. <laughs> well, that sounds nice. Uh, tell me about your Thanksgiving. <clears throat> there was lots of Instagram photos of like, oh my God, I had to cook so much food from you. Yes. Well, <laughs> I did because my mother's best friend, now it's time for you to feel bad, is oh. in the hospital because she just got her pancreas removed. Oh, so, right. You told me that. I, yes. So I had to cook all of the food by myself. <laughs> so <laughs> I cooked everything by myself and it was actually quite exhausting. Mm-hmm. The food was delicious. We did a Middle Eastern vibey. Right. Um which everyone knows if they listen to the last episode so. Correct, all our loyal listeners. <laughs> um I do actually want to take a little sidebar here and mention that one of our listeners, a former Brucey regular, a wonderful guy named Ted, Wrote me the sweetest email and said that he was on the plane to Greece. Like, this was right the day before Thanksgiving. He goes to Greece a lot because he's a teacher and he teaches Greek. Sure. I don't know. It's all Greek to me. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Um So he was like, he wrote me this nice email. He's like, the show is so funny. I'm listening to it. I'm so glad. Like, you guys do what you do. And thank you for contributing what you do. And I shed a single, maybe even a double tear. Aw. It was very sweet. So, Ted, what up? Thank you so much. That was very Ted, kind. that's my dad's name. No, which... oh, It's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> Your dad's name is Ted. Oh, it is. Yeah, you're, you're right. Don't accuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> madam. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't seem right for a second. <clears throat> Ted Bailey. Yes, close to Ted Bundy. That's how I remember. It's correct because I remember making the same joke before. <laughs> my Thanksgiving was fine. It was okay. Sure. It was like le- it was lovely in many ways because I'm very close with my family, my aunts and uncles mm-hmm. and cousins, and I love them and we always have a good time. And then I think. Just the culmination of stress this year made it, like, a little strange, you know? Totally. My mom had to be at the hospital a lot. Like, we didn't get to do our normal thing. The thing about, like, cooking so much for Thanksgiving that makes it fun is, like, when you get to do it with your family members and you fight about how you're cutting the carrots and then you sure. drink wine together and it's it's like, creates memories. So doing it by myself felt a little bit more like work. That being said, the end result of getting to spend time with my family was quite nice. Great. Yeah. Check. I made some sweet potatoes that had halva and cardamom <laughs> butter on them, and that was quite delicious. It sounds great. It really was. It was good. Well, like halva. cardamom's having a moment again. <laughs> it is. It's having. It's having a debut. I mean, it just. It's probably because it's winter and it's in all the wintry drinks. That's true. And... People are like, "Have you heard about it? This just ended from the wires of the Associated Press. Cardamom is weird. What is it? <laughs> it's kind of floral. It's is it nutmeg? Who knows? So <laughs> know. I'm so I'm very excited about. Our topic today. Me too. Um, our topic today is chefs who kill. <laughs> or, as you oh, thought. I Isaiah, Tex, and Zara, um, chefs who have kilts. <laughs> <laughs> chefs who have killed or chefs who have kilts. All <laughs> our Scottish chefs out there, please <clears> call <throat> us. Um, so, yeah, this is a comedy podcast, so we're not going to get too deep into the psychology of... The masochism related to the chef's industry, why certain types of people might be attracted to that kind of role, Mm. how the sort of violent behavior is perpetuated and just allowed to exist. We're not going to touch on any of that stuff. We're just going to talk about chefs who kill and joke around about it and never bring up any serious stuff. (laughs) Are you nervous being with me in the studio knowing that I'm a chef who has the potential to kill. Hasn't killed and won't kill, but could. And- well, here's the thing, Sarah. It occurred to me as I was re- researching this today that um, most chefs, I would say, unless you're a vegetarian chef, you do kill as part of your That's job. true. Animals. <laughs> I was talking about this with uh, somebody yesterday. <clears throat> He's reading that new book from that woman, Caitlin Daugherty, that Ask Mortician, and oh, yeah, yeah, she talks a lot about, like, you know, embalming and doing all these, like, really wild things, what we perceive as wild, to bodies. Um, and I was, like, well, for me, like, I have skinned the, all of the skin off a pig's face before. Yeah, and you've broken down a pig many yeah, times. and it doesn't even phase me a little bit. Um, it's, like, sexy to watch a ship or someone just break down an animal really quick and, like, easily, sure. you know? Yeah, unless you're, like, part of PETA, <clears throat> then it's not sexy at all. Sure. Then it's upsetting. Then you get—that's when you reach for the paint can and you pour paint on that person and the animal. <laughs> Get out of here! You're blue now. <laughs> I think they usually use red paint. <laughs> Get out of here! You're red. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna start off with the the worst chef who has killed, and then <laughs> move on to—and not that killing is funny at all—but um, <clears throat> there are many other podcasts out there who make jokes about murder. So why can't we? That's um, true. Okay, so this guy is a fairly recent killer, and he's just, like, a piece of shit. He's, like, an L.A. chef named David Viennes, V-I-E-N-S. Boo. Sounds too much like veins. He was the chef of a restaurant called Lomita in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of it. I don't know. Me neither. Um, So this dude, like, (laughs) he is... Just like an all-around typical jerk, he got in trouble for marijuana and fled to Mexico instead of serving his time. Mm. And he's had like multiple run-ins with like drug issues and the police. Um, He abused his wife. Um, Mm. He choked her. He told his friends that he wanted to kill that bitch. Um, Whoa. He um, was just like a crappy dude. Um, He sounds like a rapscallion. So then eventually his wife, so he's like 59, I think, or 49, I can't remember. Um, And she's like 10 years younger, so she's 39. Okay. And um, she disappears. Her name's Dawn. And um, the police can't find her. And at first they're just kind of like, where'd you go? And then eventually... (laughs) Like the police, that's that's how they question (laughs) it. That's how they conduct investigations. Where did you, you go? Uh, where'd you go? Jeet and I were just doing Ray Romano impressions earlier in no, the studio. I Where, don't. Where'd you go? I mean, uh. Nope. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, <laughs> this guy, the police eventually were like, okay, this guy's a suspect. Um, and so they confronted him and he ran and jumped off an 80 foot cliff what? and lived. He lived? <laughs> I went off a 40 foot cliff and I lived. So. Yeah, I know. It's not about you though. Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so brutal. Um he then okay, so once they got him into custody, he basically confessed to um he was like it was an an unexpected act of violence. They were in a fight. I mean, obviously like mm-hmm. he beats her up all the time, so that's not true. Right. Um and essentially he admitted to taking her body, putting it into a fifty five gallon drum and boiling it for four days. Oh my god. And then he said I cooked her for four days, I let her cool, Ugh. and then I strained out all of the parts. Oh my god, <clears> like <throat> a stock. Yep. That's fucked up. I know. Um, and essentially what happened is he, he was, for a while he was, the police didn't know it was Ugh. him, and he was sending Ugh. texts from her phone to like pretend like she was still alive. Man. Um, and he finally got drunk and confessed to his daughter from a different marriage, and then she immediately went to the police, and she was like, my sucky dad killed his wife. Fuck, man. Um, also, as soon as she disappeared, immediately he started dating a 23-year-old waitress. Like, From the restaurant. Just yeah. an all-around. I thought he was just like a badass. Super cool guy. So typical. Um, he then recounted his confession, and he said a quote that I love very much. He said, I loved my wife. I didn't cook my wife. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And the judge that's was like, believable. "I don't believe you, dude." Fifteen years in prison. Goodbye. Fifteen years. Yeah. Well, One nice. five mm-hmm. for boiling a human. Yep. Poor K. Because that's how the that's how it works. That's terrible. That's really upsetting and terrible. Well, at um, least he got convicted. I mean, that's true, but that's really... Of all the murder stuff that I listen to, and which is quite a bit, that is really one of the more gruesome and awful things, and it's very upsetting to know that he only got 15 years. I know, and that's why I had to lead with that. But yeah. now, let's switch gears Please. To, to the 1500s. Oh, throwback. <laughs> so Back in the day. picture it. It's 1531. Uh, <laughs> I'm picturing lots of smelling. Stinky. Yes. Lots of amputated limbs. Sure. Um... There apparently was the title of chef back then. Who knew? Um, this guy named Richard Roos uh, was the chef to John Fisher, who was the Bishop of Rochester. Oh, very, Um You know, right. back then, the Catholic Church was really powerful. Oh, mm-hmm. Um, and so he was in charge of preparing the daily gruel for his master. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what they had to eat all the time. Gruel? Mm-hmm, even when though he's is the bishop. gruel? It's like porridge. Did you get, like, a recipe for gruel? It's porridge? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, with bones in it, I don't think it's got bones. No bones. Okay, no bone free. Got it. Check. <laughs> um, in February 1531, he was accused of poisoning the porridge. So basically, um, the you know the porridge that he makes, the entire household eats, yeah. including two beggars outside of the kitchen that day. Oh, we're like, come can we please have some food? And they're like, sure. And and he knew poison. it had poison in it? So, well... That's, what a dick! What's up for poisoning debate? the beggars? Hey, 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 fuck this guy. It's up for debate whether yeah. or not he knew. Uh, but he knew he was poisoning the king of Rochester. The bishop of oh, Rochester. <laughs> Excuse us. Pardon. Do you hear uh, that? No, he he maybe didn't. So basically... It didn't kill the bishop because he didn't eat that day, mysteriously. Uh, he's allergic to porridge, gruel. <laughs> and he, it killed the two members of his family. Those beggars outside didn't die. They just got really sick. Oh. Um, and I, read, I got two, um, two different accounts of this. So Mental Floss said that he admitted to putting a laxative into the porridge as a prank. And I was like, <laughs> what? A 1500s prank? And then... I went to Wikipedia, and they were like, no, he admitted to putting a powder in there. He thought it was given to him by someone else, and he thought it would incapacitate them, not kill them. Right. But he said it was like, given to me by a stranger. Like, that isn't believable. Sure. So, anyway. Like, I'm a prankster. I also put uh, cellophane wrap on the toilet seat. Look. So, the the severity of the crime... So, King Henry VIII is the king at this point, and he's, like, super paranoid of poison. So, when this happened... He went to Parliament and made poisoning people a tr- an act of treason. Oh. And that means that the punishment is being boiled to death. <gasps> are you serious? Yes. Is this is Do I smell a boiling theme in your stories? Well, two stories. Are two related. boils. <laughs>
1: are um,
0: one. So so the, he ended up getting convicted um, and he was <laughs> boiled to death. Um <gasps> Rumors have it that Henry VIII was actually the one who arranged the poisoning because the oh. bishop had spoken out against him divorcing Catherine of Aragon to marry Anne Boleyn. Oh. Um, so, and we all know how that turned out. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all do. Uh, she got beheaded. Oh really? I didn't know. I don't know that much about history, honestly. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah. don't know much biology. <laughs> he. Um, yeah. He, like, managed to get a divorce, even though Catholics don't allow it. He, like, changed religions for it. And then he married Anne Boleyn. And then things went wrong, and he ended up having her beheaded. So oh. it was just kind of crazy. on the cross. Um, so people suspect that it was Henry VIII. Um, it doesn't really matter, though, because that dude got boiled. So <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> it's Richard Roos. Oh, Richard. And then now, now we're going to fast forward Please. to... First, we're going to go to France. Then oh. we're going to fast forward to 1671, okay? Oh. Ooh, <laughs> take us there. Um, this is a chef named Francois Batel. I don't know if that's how you say that in France, but whatever. Um, this guy was like a famous-ish chef in, for the time. Um, he cooked for the superintendent of finances of France at the time, which is, I guess, kind of a big deal. Um, supposedly, he created Cream Chantilly. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and that's how old that stuff is from the wow. 1600s. Good um, God. Who knew? I know. He was ordered. I think this is really funny. He was ordered to prepare a lavish feast for Louis the Fourteenth. Oh, I thought you were going to say Louis C.K. No. It's okay. It's the 1600s. Okay. Got it. Um, but he couldn't take the heat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I always say, Zara? If you can't take the heat. Uh... Take off some of your clothes? No. Get out of the kitchen? There you go. Ah, yes. That is your famous catchphrase that you made up. I made it up, yeah. <laughs> it's like my signature phrase. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you just walk in everywhere. Hey, guys, what's new? If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. First I say, is it hot enough for you? And then... <laughs> <laughs> and then you go, bam, a little garlic. <laughs> um. So this guy, but he was literally like not... He couldn't handle the pressure. So oh, sure. he was like, oh, shit. I'm freaking out, man. And... <laughs> Um, a, de- <laughs> a delivery of fish was late and he picked up a knife and stabbed himself in the heart <gasps> and died. Oh my God. And then shortly after that, the fish arrived. Oh. <laughs> Man, isn't it ironic, huh? Uh huh. Okay. I have one more. Please. These are amazing. Um, this one is hilarious to me. Um, and it's local. So yeah. wow. celebrity chef, Adam Harvey, who owns Bar Salumi in Gowanus. Never, Are you familiar with that? Never heard of it. Me either. But he was on one of the chef shows, maybe Top Chef. I can't oh. remember. Um, he, <laughs> this story is so good. He decided that he wanted to go green. This is what the article said. He, like, he wanted to go green, so he put solar panels on his roof. And I'm like, uh-huh. great. Cool. Um, but the, his neighbors had a seven-story tall silver maple, so it was like huge, and it blocked the sun, so the solar panels couldn't really do oh. their thing. Mm. So this guy drilled holes in that tree and filled it with tree poison, herbicide. Uh. And um, he got caught on camera doing it and went to jail. Oh my God, for tree murder? Yeah. And they still don't know... At the time of the article's writing, if the tree was going to live or die, it was already Uh, starting to, like, half of the leaves had, like, fallen off of it. Oh, my God. And so this is attempted killing, but he did attempt to kill a tree. Oh, my God. Uh, Is that also considered treason? (laughs) Punishable by boiling? (laughs) Let's hope so. (laughs) I don't know. That's funny. Also, how crazy is it that they're like, yeah, you should get what the the capital punishment is boiling to death. That's fucking insane for any century, honestly. How long does it take? I don't know. I mean, I mentioned this to you before, but whenever I hear about someone boiling, I just think about like how we get in hot tubs, which is essentially just boiling alive. Whenever you hear about someone boiling. Yes. <laughs> which is almost every hour on the hour. This rate, 2019. It's an epidemic. It is. <laughs> It is an epidemic. <laughs> it's sweeping the nation. You know, kids, mm-hmm. they eat the Tide Pods, they boil themselves it's to like death. It's cardamom, really. It is. It is <laughs> trending. You put cardamom in the pot if you really want to boil yourself. Hmm. A bath is, I mean, a light boil, honestly. It's like the sous vide. Gross. I I know. If you wrap yourself in saran wrap, that is. Ugh. Those are really. Well, the first one is not funny, but the other ones are <laughs> are funny. No, it's because not. they're old. It's and dark as hell. Yeah, the first one is really fucked up and terrible and very, 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 very sad and the worst kind of the worst kind of way a life can end. So yeah, condolences to that person's family. That's really awful. Um. Okay. On that note, uh, should we take a quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors? Hell yes. Okay, goodbye. Nourish & Flourish is a handcrafted ad-free integration of print and multimedia content from around the world with stunning photography and video. Explore emerging trends in nutrition, regenerative agriculture, and travel. Nourish & Flourish. Thought-provoking content and innovative links to videos allow you to view the future of food and healthy living. Join us on a journey of discovery from the soil to the stars. Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site. First you nourish, then you flourish, then you put some carrots in a pot. One human and bone broth is this a good bone broth joke? No, not no. really. That was a fail. Do You we have should one? have been like, we we're going back now to missed opportunities for jokes. And yeah. I was saying that Zara should have been like, it's trending like bone broth. Oh yeah, that's like <laughs> when you think of a great insult for someone in a fight, They're and you're gone. like, yeah. Well, you're fucking built like a giraffe, and then they leave and. It's all over. <laughs> I'm on a group text with my family that just seems to be never ending. I think that you should focus on <laughs> podcasts. I would love to, but my aunt, who's so cute, my aunt Bridget, we started a group text yesterday because my uncle's birthday. And uh, I was like, I became so obsessed with it. My aunt's so cute, she named our group text the Mighty Twelve. <laughs> because there's 12 of us on it. It's cute. <laughs> now I keep getting Mighty Twelve texts left and right, but I like it. So please, family, stop, uh, don't stop sending them. Yes. Question, Nicole. Why is Ireland the fastest growing country in Europe? The fastest what growing country in Europe? Um, I don't know because it's always Dublin. I feel like that's kind of like a bad, like maybe like (laughs) it's a bad, a racist joke against Irish people. I am a quarter Irish. Let's start there. So because it's always Dublin because there's the the stereotype that Irish people have a million kids. Oh well, then that's even funnier. (laughs) It's fine. <laughs> we can... Irish people are still safe to make fun of. Right, Irish? No. I'm, I'm part Irish. I'm Irish. My last name's Bailey. That's true. Are you offended by that joke? I think it's just because it's Dublin. Like, that's Dublin down. Like a double-decker. Uh, it can't be a coincidence. Well, <laughs> Irish people, if you're offended by this joke, please get at us. Listen. Please start a viral marketing ad that gets us a lot of listeners. I am telling you this joke and speaking in this terrible Irish accent because... In the mid-1800s, there was a terrible thing that happened in Ireland. This is not funny at all, um, which was called the potato famine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people starved. It really happened from around like 1840 to 1845 was when it was really terrible. It was caused by a strain of uh, phytothora infestans or pea infestans that caused the widespread devastation of potato crops in Ireland and northern Europe, beginning in 1845. Um, so basically it would like go through the crops and it would like leave. One thing I read said that uh, you would go and reach down to pick the potato and be like a red soupy, like bloody, gross thing under the soil. I know that's imagine the imagery, but it kind of (coughs) like swept through a lot of um, Europe. It was like in France and it was all over, but it really hit Ireland hard because they, A, relied a lot on the potato. There were, you know, many poor people there during that time and potatoes, they were like, and another thing they read, they were like, they would eat potatoes for breakfast. But they would eat potatoes they, for lunch. I thought they exported the majority of their potato okay. crops. Okay, that is the other problem. Okay. That part of the reason that people actually really starved, or most of the reason that people starved, wasn't just because of the potato famine, it was because Great Britain who obviously did a lot to fucking, I we can't even get into how bad Great Britain was to <laughs> Ireland. That's a... And many other places. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, colonialization, <laughs> not great. Um, So... But anyway, it was because Great Britain forced them to be exporting a majority of the The surplus of food that they actually had that could have fed millions of people in Ireland and Great Britain refused to let them uh, stop exporting their food. So uh, there's this strain of um, pea infestans is still around today and is responsible for billions of dollars of crop damage each year, even in the US. In the potato famine, three-quarters of that year's harvest was destroyed, and that's when the first starvation deaths were reported, in, like, 1844, I think. Um, So the British relief efforts made things worse. Um, They were, like, kicking people out of houses and apartments that they, like, British-owned apartment buildings. Like, a lot of landlords, I guess, were British, and they were kicking all the Irish immigrants out because they couldn't pay the rent. As dramatized in Far and Away. Oh, what's Far and Away? Is that with Chris O'Donnell? No, it's Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. I... And they both have Irish accents. Oh, I'll have to watch that. It's great. how is it? How's Tom Cruise as an Irishman? Um, it's oh, he's great. Side did you watch The Irishman yet? No. Are, are you planning to? I'm not. You don't have three and a half hours time. I do. <laughs> you don't have a simple three and a half hours to steal and sit down and watch a. I'm not interested in it. I didn't think I was either, so I started watching it at the gym, and I was like, "This is actually quite good," and I really liked it. How do you watch it at the gym? On your on phone? On my phone. Oh, yeah, I have the okay. Netflix app I'm bad at technology. I really liked it. I thought that Al Pacino was just amazing. And you know what? I didn't really know where Jimmy Hoffa was, and I still don't, but I know more about him now. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? The common, like, well, I guess uh, you'll find your keys sooner than you'll, or you'll find Jimmy Hoffa sooner than you find your keys. And that's still true. He's in hiding. Or dead, probably. He's definitely dead. 100. Um, okay. So anyway... Really bad. Um, by 1851, like two million Irish people had left, and a lot, a great majority of them had gone to America. Some of them also went to Canada and Australia, but a lot, like uh, over a million people immigrated in, within five years to America. Australia? Yeah. Weird. They're like, maybe they won't notice our accents here because they're also kind of funny. Fascinating. Yeah, this is just a podcast episode about being really cruel to Irish yeah. people and Australia is also a movie that starred Nicole Kidman. Oh, <laughs> that's a through line. <laughs> Amazing. And another thing I started to watch at the gym the other day was The Hours, also starring Nicole Kidman. Whoa. I couldn't really stick with it, though. It was a little too depressing. I was trying to get my heart rate up. <laughs> um, okay, so an, uh, one of such Irish immigrants to come over was a woman by named Mary Mallon. She was born... Um, in the uh, 1800s, early 1800s, <laughs> and she came over in 1869. Um, okay, now. Oh, no, she was born in 1869. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. And she came over a little bit after the potato famine. This is a whirlwind effect. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I don't know anything. And uh, my <laughs> glass is broken. I have a headache, and I have to get out of here. <laughs> and I'm breaking in my hair. So anyway, typhoid was something that happened amongst the communities of a lot of, like, poor people at the time and unfortunately when Irish people came over to America they were treated terribly and a lot of them were poor and they were persecuted because of their religious beliefs there wasn't a lot of Catholics over here everyone was Christian Uh, they were like many immigrants who come to this country really unfairly persecuted and ridiculed and had their faces ribbed in the in the dirt as dramatized in the gangs (laughs) of New York (laughs) (laughs) that's a good Scorsese movie I love that movie I gotta watch that one again Daniel Day Lewis huh what what an actor Commitment to the role. Oh, my. Um, so anyway, a lot of slums full of Irish immigrants and other types of people who didn't have money and a lot of disease, unfortunately, at the time because mm-hmm. modern medicine wasn't really involved. So now we're talking like right at the turn of the century. It's like 1905 at this time. Um, and Mary Mallon is in her like late mid-30s. Um, so typhoid was her one. sexual prime. In her, she was peaking. And it was unfortunate because as we'll come to find out, she was a silent carrier of typhoid fever. What? You spoiled your own story. I know. So typhoid is a disease which, after looking up the um, symptoms, I'm realizing that I have because they are headache, fatigue, muscle aches, sweating, dry cough, loss of appetite, abdominal pain. Now, I don't have a rash, diarrhea, or constipation, Sometimes an extremely distended abdomen after maybe a day of eating a lot of bread. And then this is how I know I have it. You become delirious, and you lie motionless and exhausted with your <laughs> eyes half closed. <laughs> <laughs> which so, I frankly do all the time. If someone is taking a, a, like a half snooze nap, like like <laughs> watching football, Typhoid. <laughs> Typhoid! You just point at them and yelled "typhoid. Huh. Yeah, and don't go near their butt, because that's how you get it. Do people still have typhoid? Do we get vaccinated yes. for that when we're little babies? I don't know, but there's fewer than 20,000 cases per year in the U.S. Does it kill people? Still? It, do, it can. I think even in its height, the death rate was like maybe 3 in 10 or something like that. Oh, okay. And so it's not always great deadly, but it definitely can be. Few. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so the spread of the epidemic was related to drinking water contaminated with the excrements of patients that had typhoid fever. Yeah, Disgusting. (laughs) So if you want to skip typhoid fever, don't drink your friend's poop who might have it. Although in that time, (laughs) it was a little bit harder not to drink your friend's poop. Yeah. Um, Or your family's poop, more likely. Yeah. So it was called salmonella typhi. And salmonella was named after, this is a fun fact, was actually named after a guy named Daniel Elmer Salmon. I don't know if he was a salmon or if he was just from a line of salmon fishermen, huh. but his last name was salmon. He may or may not have been a fish. He was an American pathologist and that's where Salmonella came from. I found, I found that fascinating. Um, He's like, I will name it Salmonella. Ah, my disease. My disease. Wait, why isn't it Salmonella then? I don't know. <laughs> why isn't it, yeah, Salmonella. But you don't say Salmon. You Big say, Salmon. You salmon to say do. Salmon. I say Salmon. <laughs> I say Salmon Rushdie, and I say Salmons for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I say Salmon. That's what's for dinner. Oh, I misunderstood you. So Salmon Rushdie discovered Yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Makes perfect sense now. Exactly. Um, okay. So here's where things start to get really troubling. So Mary Mallon... Uh, took up a job as a cook as soon as she could kind of work in her Mm -hmm. 20s and 30s. Um, She was to cook for a family named uh, the Warrens. The patriarch was Charles Henry Warren, and he was a very wealthy New York banker. Mm -hmm. So in 1906, they go to the summer home of Charles Henry Warren. I think he was a banker for the Vanderbilts, too. So he was like a big time banker. And they went to their home in Oyster Bay, which coincidentally I went to middle school and elementary school at a private school in Oyster Bay. Shishi. It sounds very shishy. It the school was quite shishy, very gatsby. It was like in this old, you know, mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all very lovely. But I was very, very poor when I was growing up. And my, we lived with my grandparents. My dad lived in the fucking basement. My mom somehow got me a scholarship to the school. So I went to the school with all these rich kids, and I was like totally, we were totally poor. My parents had no money, and I was at this weird school in Oyster Bay with all these rich kids. I didn't get typhoid there, but I could have. Hmm. Maybe I'm not a car- Maybe I'm just a carrier, a host. Oh. Um, anyway, so in the house, she was cooking for them, and six of the 11 people got typhoid. And really? 11 well, people in this family? Geez. I know. Well, there was a summer home, so everyone was like, summering. They're all playing croquet, <laughs> oh, So they're coming by to visit, and then the cook is just like, here's your water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's like just, you know, spitting into things. The big thing with Mary, as we'll come to find out, is that she refused. She didn't believe in hand washing. So she didn't believe <laughs> that it existed. She didn't <laughs> believe in it. She didn't do it. And she didn't like it. Uh, I don't, she's like, I'll believe it when I see it. And she wiped her butt with her bare hands. So that was the other part of the problem. But so, typhoid could get, uh, cooked off. Like, you know, so as a cook, the real reason that, like, she was probably spreading typhoid, they thought it had a lot to do with, she would make ice cream with, like, peaches and stuff like that. (laughs) So it was, like, typhoid ice cream. It's, like, a new flavor of Ben and Jerry's. Typhoid peach. So cooking Fever. cooking can kill, it, but obviously not cold temperatures. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't have freezers back then. Yeah, I don't know. This all sounds very suspicious. But anyway, she um gave everybody typhoid in the house and then she got the hell out of there. All eleven no, six out of eleven. Six out of eleven people. Yeah. Um so Warren hired, in 1906, after this happened, a typhoid researcher named George Soper to investigate what was going on, and Soper published the results of his findings in 1907 Journal of American Medicine. He believed that Mallon might have been the source, and he was goddamn right about it. Did they know back then that... That's how disease was transmitted, as much as we do now. Uh, no, but they were like kind of researching this all at the time, at this very time, because typhoid okay. was like a real problem. And as soon as, of course, like they don't care about it when it's happening to the poor people, but as soon as like richer people are like having, you know, getting sick, then yeah. of course they're like, oh, we need to get a handle on this. Um, so anyway, he wrote a thing about it in the Journal of Medicine. He was unable to locate her because she would keep like. Leaving after she would cause an outbreak and people would get sick and she'd like peace out. So I don't know if she knew that she was doing this so or it was this just is coincidental. The part of her story that I think is interesting because she um, always she would always leave and then like and then but she would always claim ignorance, right? Right, but, but like why it, was she leaving then? And then she would eventually be like, no, it's not me. But I'm like, if you don't believe that it's you, why are you skipping town? I mean, at some point, I guess you have, like, you know, the heat's on you, so you don't want to, like... And part of the reason that I wanted to start this story talking about the potato famine and Irish immigration to America is because there's, you know, that's a hard life. That's, like, a real hard life to have that in Ireland. It's a hard life to come to America and be treated that way. And so I think that a lot of folks, very reasonably so, as with a lot of immigrants around that time and, you know... Uh, developed kind of a hardened exterior, and certainly didn't want to be the focus of any kind of like more scrutiny or right. any more, you know what I mean. So it makes perfect sense that she would be like, "Not me. I'm not doing anything. I'm just trying to get by <laughs> in this world, wipe my hand, my butt with my bare hands, <laughs> make <laughs> ice cream." And that's it. Leave me alone. Can I live? I stick by my beliefs. I refuse to wash my hands. She wouldn't Uh, wash her hands. She was very obstinate. But again, like, you know, it's just a certain mentality that seems to make sense in conjunction with the way that, like, she was raised and what was going on at the time with the Irish people who were being persecuted in this country for mm -hmm. just plainly being immigrants and wanting a better life. Um, So anyway... She kept leaving. He couldn't locate her, so he learned of an <laughs> active outbreak at a penthouse on Park Avenue. And discovered- wait, sorry, who is chasing her? George Soper? Okay. The disease, the got, germ, got it, the got germ it. catcher. It's like a dream catcher, but with germs. Mm-hmm. Um, so he followed her at Park Avenue and uh, found Ooh, she made it. Yeah, she-, she made it all the way up to Park Avenue. <laughs> found out that two of the household servants were hospitalized, and the daughter of the family had died of typhoid. Shit. Yeah. So when he approached Mary, her... be cool. <laughs> I know, Mary, chill out. Wear some gloves. God damn, that's all she had to do. So he approached her about possibly starting typhoid, and she was like, absolutely not. Not me. And he's, like, demanding that she give him urine and stool samples. So I think part of this also, from what I gauge from it, I could be wrong, but it's also, like, this, like, really aggressive pursuit of her and, like, insisting that she was sick instead of... Init- and this goes on through the whole story instead of just trying to explain to her. I mean, I wasn't there, but this is what I gathered from my (laughs) reading. Instead of trying to explain to her, like, hey, we're discovering that, like, you can be a host of a disease because she just kept kind of being like, I don't have it. I'm fine. You know what I mean? Like, get out of here. And they just kept, like, really, like, like persecuting her. And as a single woman, she didn't have, like, a support system. She didn't have kids. She didn't have family. Like, Well, that's the thing. She also didn't have any other way to make money. Like right. That's what she knew how to and do. And she could make the most amount of money doing that, like, and way the more story, than other jobs. And also, you get to live in a night, usually, the, not always, but sometimes the cook lives yeah. on the premises. Totally. So So, um, I also think that, like, this story is always told from the perspective of, like, she, we don't hear Mary's. Side, right? of course so absolutely. Like, um the whole like idea of her being like i don't have it you jerks and then like bouncing around from house to house is like almost unbelievable you know like there's totally. obviously something else is going there's on there's obviously something and maybe it's mental illness that she's she a she serial asks, killer I, exactly but that's the thing that i think is like so fascinating about this story is yeah. that she could have had mental illness She could have been being unfairly persecuted. She could have been a serial killer. We have no idea. I mean, she could have, like, gotten off about this because she was working for the same families that were not giving her and her people a fair shot, and they're living in these nice houses, and she's, like, living in tenements in the Lower East Side. And, you know, like, maybe she was just like, fuck, this was her being like, fuck you. Well, also, it seems shocking present day for someone to refuse to wash their hands, but I feel like that wasn't shocking or Weird back then, right? Because like new technology, exactly. Like hand washing is a new thing. Maybe like get it, get on the hand washing train. It's safe. Um, I mean, people used to put their mouths up to the water fountain and like suck out of it with no, their that's just lips. No, like, that's just like an episode of Parks and Rec. No, it's real. It <laughs> happened. I did the I did the invention of the water fountain on our <laughs> water episode. People like used to suck out of it. There's an episode of Parks and Rec which is set in Indiana and they have a problem in their town because everyone doesn't know how to use a water fountain. They put their mouths directly onto the faucet, so everyone's getting sick. Yeah, from it. it's disgusting. <laughs> it's I, water fountains, honestly, in general, are just still gross. I'm like, doesn't the like water from your mouth drip back on where the water comes out? I drink out of public water fountains. You know, in Rome, they have an amazing like, you can just go anywhere in the street and turn like a thing, and like this beautiful, amazing ancient wall. Waters come out and you can fill up your water bottle. It's great. Ancient water. Ancient water. You, know, oh. you, you can fill up your water bottle with a um, fountain in New York. Totally. But it's something about the fact that like you can just turn on a spout that's like coming out of the street. Like, you know what I mean? Like sure. a turn knob spout, not like a water fountain. I wouldn't. It looks weird, but you can do it. There's plenty of spouts all over New York that I wouldn't want to turn on and drink the water out of. No, of course <laughs> not. But the water in Rome is like super it's clean. ancient water. Yeah, it's ancient, <laughs> cursed devil water the vatican is all the dead children bones are in there exactly it's boiled jesus's boiled (laughs) bone water wait do they have jesus's bone broth i made a joke there you go yes i found it i knew it (laughs) i knew i could do it i mean jesus was never in italy doesn't matter good good work thank you very much okay listen let's get back on track here yeah so please please she admitted, um, okay, wait, 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 let me back up here. So she was convinced that the law was only persecuting her because, and that she had done nothing wrong because nobody, like, explained to her what was going on. However, uh, Soper found in researching five years of her past employment history that eight families who had hired Malin as a cook had uh, all had had typhoid. That could be a coincidence. That's true. It could be a coincidence. But it seems like a... Pretty big coin. you not going to ask me. So, Malin attracted so much media attention by this time in 1908 that she was called Typhoid Mary. And police officers had to be brought to her house and put her in jail for a little bit of time. Is it against the law? Well, that's the thing. It's a gray area. Now, they had asked her several times to stop cooking, and she refused to stop cooking. But... It, there is no precedent for that. Exactly. There's no precedent. There was no court case. There's, there's no president. It's there's no president now. <laughs> everyone is susceptible to typhoid. Nobody's in charge. I'm scared. Um. So this lady just got the bum rush. I'm thinking she did. that first of all, typhoid doesn't even kill you, right? So why is everyone freaking out? Well, yeah. I mean. This is why it's so complicated. And it's like, what do we, what do we, how do we feel about this? Where do we land? I guess we'll figure it out at the end. So, Malin (laughs) admitted she didn't understand hand washing. Um, In prison, (laughs) she was forced. I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. It just seems like a waste of time. So, in prison, she was forced to give stool and urine samples. And authorities kept, like, throughout the years until she died, insisting that she get her gallbladder removed, which was all very, like, old medicine. I heard a story on the dollop one time about this, like, guy who actually has a statue, I think, in Central Park. He was a dentist, or maybe a doctor, and his thing was like uh, his family had like certain problems, and he had certain problems, and he just kept removing teeth, and then kept removing organs. And like back in that time of medicine, I feel like people are just like, "Well, you have a headache, you should take out all your toenails," you know what I mean? And it's like kind of didn't make any sense. And they're like my toenails, you just sounded like the guy from the dollop when you said that. I did, <laughs> really. I do love the dollop. That's a, that's a good uh, podcast. Yeah. Two white guys. And it's true. It does make me. A, LOL. I haven't listened to it in a bit, but I like it. I think it's very informative. I particularly love their episode on Enron. They've been accused of plagiarizing journalists. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, I still like it. Sure. I'm landing on the side tomato, of Tomato, tomato. Wash yeah. your hands, don't wash your, yeah, your hands. Yeah, that's true. Cherry tomato or cherry tomato. <laughs> um, okay, listen. So they put her in um, a confinement. Call, uh, on a place called North Brother Island which is right off of I know the where coast that is. of the Bronx have you ever been there no but I, I think it's cool huh yeah it seems like it would be pretty cool I don't think you can go on there now I was listening to a podcast about this and they were like oh can you go on there um so Malin was held there for three years on North Brother Island, and eventually the new health commissioner decided that the disease they should no longer be kept in isolation and that, like, she needed to be freed if she agreed to stop working as a cook, which she finally agrees to stop working as a cook. But this is crazy to me because it's not like she's the only carrier of typhoid. Right. And I will get to that later on. But, okay. yes, no, go ahead. It is crazy. Well, it's infuriating, and it's also, like, I never really thought about it from this perspective in, like, She's portrayed as this kind of, like, selfish, like, you know, not thinking about the other people type of lady, at least in the stuff that I have read yeah. about her, and the truth is, we just don't really know, and they just put her in jail for no, she wasn't sick. I know. She she didn't get it, though, either, which is reasonable, because medicine is no, there's no web, I and mean, she's not going to Google it and be like, oh, I get it. Yeah, you like, can be a carrier. They're like, you have typhoid, and she was like, I clearly don't, I'm not getting sick, right. and they're like... The concept of being a carrier was very new, right? Exactly. Yeah. Or she totally got it and she was murdering. Sure. So... In 1909, before she was released, she unsuccessfully sues the health department. And then she gets out and in February. She uh, sued the health department? Yeah. Yay. Does it? And there was, like, um, something I heard. I want to sue that, the health department. <laughs> dude, me too. Do you remember the health department came into Brucie one time? I, I had a million. I mean, one time they came into Brucie. They came in <laughs> a million times. But one time. Once the, a they, year. <laughs> they came in. I remember the inspector, like, doing something that was, like, so silly. Being, like, giving us. I don't remember what it was, but it was something silly. And I was, like. Um, This is just like really unfair. And they're like, I'm sorry, ma'am. I work for the city. And I was like, God damn it. I work for the city. I work for the city. And I had my own Daniel Day-Lewis moment. They drug you out of there and put you in Brother, North Brother Island. (laughs) That's why I spent the past five years on North Brother Island. There was another time. Never mind. Should I tell the story about the black rice? There was another time where they found like a mouse poop. Now, for anyone ever ate at Bruce, I want to calm your fears to know that every single restaurant in New York city at one time or another has a mouse. And we had like a mouse. It wasn't like an infestation or anything. They found a mouse poop behind the refrigerator in the depths of nowhere not near any food. And so I was like, and the violation for that is like Mm $2,000. So I picked it up and I was like, that's black rice. And they're like, that's not black rice. And I was like, it's black rice. I'll eat it. And I went to go put it in my mouth and eat it. And they smacked it out of my hand. They go, ma'am, do not eat that mouse poop. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would have eaten it. And it was not black rice. And I would have probably gotten typhoid. No. Um, so. Maybe. She agrees to stop cooking. And she said that she'll change her occupation. And she goes to work as a laundress for a while. Um, and then. Well, she washes her hands constantly. Yeah, exactly. Which is the perfect job for her. But I guess it didn't pay as much money. And she just didn't like it. Darn. She was meant to, you know. Her dream is to cook for the people of the world. Exactly. She was a, you know, she wanted to prepare gruel for the king of Spain or whatever that guy is. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, I was listening. Uh, so, anyway, she then, uh, there was a cook at Sloan Maternity in Manhattan. And, uh, three months later, 25 people, doctors and nurses and staff got typhoid. Two of them died. Dang. And she had been hired because she changed her name to Mary Brown. Um, and then they found out, uh, that it was her and she (laughs) was confined for the remainder of her entire life. What? Yeah. To North brother Island. And, um, she was eventually allowed to work as a technician in the Island's laboratory washing bottles. I mean, I guess they're like, you can do something where you're constantly washing your hands, and that's it. Um, Christmas morning, 1932, a man came to deliver something to Mary on the floor of her bungalow and found her that she'd been paralyzed by a stroke. Sorry, she has a bungalow? I, uh, yeah, where she lived with a fox terrier. So... She, is, she gets seven, She's not, like, in prison. She's just, like, quarantined. Yeah, she's quarantined to a lonely, like, gray gardens-tape island, which, I don't know, maybe doesn't sound so bad, with only a fox terrier. Did the fox terrier get typhoid? I think that they're immune to typhoid. <laughs> they must be. She spent the next six years at Riverside Hospital and died in November of 1938. Um, so, when her body was um, given an autopsy, they say that it was revealed that her gallstones had burst and released salmonella... Uh, typhi into the rest of her bloodstream. However, Uh Ironic, George Sofer in a twist of, I, I thought he would probably be on that side, but he said that George Sofer said there was no autopsy ever. And the whole thing about the gallbladder and the gallstones bursting was conspiracy to calm public opinion after her death to make it seem like it really was in her gallbladder and that she wasn't, you know what I mean? That she didn't just die. They wanted to like confirm that she really was this like monstrous sick Disease spreader. Weird. I mean, that is like poetic justice. So, I know, which so rarely happens in the world. So it was probably alive. Right. It's interesting. So her body was cremated. Her ashes were buried at Saint Raymond Cemetery in the Bronx. I would like to go visit her at some point. Um, so among the infections, she caused at least three deaths, but there were probably more. And some people say it was almost like fifty fatalities. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So she like killed fifty people from <laughs> refusing to just wash her hands before you peel the potatoes, Mary. Wait. I'm a quarter Irish. Uh-huh. Don't forget that. I can't. <laughs> um, okay. So other healthy typhoid carriers in the 20th century include uh, Tony Labella, an Italian immigrant presumed to have caused over 100 cases with five deaths, um, and an Adirondack guide dubbed Typhoid John. They should have gone together. <laughs> presumed to have infected 36 people with two deaths, and this one's ironic, um, Alphonse Colitis. What? A restaurateur and bakery owner. No, Chefs who killed. Chefs who kill <laughs> There's a Marvel comic villain named after her. Um, really? Yes. And so a lot of the like later stuff that I have written down here is really just about what we were talking about, about people um, you know, debating whether the ethics of the entire thing about whether or not it was really fair to keep her in captivity. It's it was a not- really weird case. It definitely is not. However, I will say, if people are getting sick and she refuses to stop doing this thing that is getting people sick, there's a plethora of other options out there. Perhaps it would have been on the responsibility of the government and local government in New York City to say, hey, actually, here's another job you can do that will pay you exactly... I don't know. Both sides... It is... On her side, though, it's like... If there's even the possibility that they're making people sick and die, like, why not just do any other job? You know what I mean? Sure. But I do, I'm on her side for sure. I'm just thinking of all the patient zeros out there. I know. Like the patient zero AIDS guy. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't like, yeah. And so apparently now, like there's a lot of um, people who have been volunteering in uh, West Africa with Ebola victims and they get like quarantined against their will for like a really long time. Um, So, Yeah. It's uh, an archetype in bioethics literature. A scholar's debate when the government is justified in depriving someone of his or her freedom for the greater good. It's very weird. It's like a weird gray area in law, and it kind of, like, I don't know, toes the line of um, your own personal responsibility versus, and, like, that's giving people a lot of credit versus, you know, public yeah. safe, safety. It's weird. I don't really know I what to I just feel like it. we do so little else for the greater good, True. Generally, with laws and all that. That's that very true. This is obviously people getting sick of something very clearly seen. Right. So, but I just, it feels, I don't know. I agree. I feel conflicted. I feel conflicted, too. And what We can act- talk about it in the next episode of Jeff's Who Kills. I know, because we're doing a two-parter. which is <laughs> just waiting for next week. Um, one thing that I want to say about it is that, that really bothers me, is that surely, if it was just, and there was thousands of people getting typhoid in the slums and in the tenements of New York City, downtown, and nobody was poking around to say, well, who's cooking for these people, or what's going on here? Maybe we should put that person in jail. It was only because she was getting, you know, rich families sick that anyone bothered to even find a patient zero, really, and let alone put them in jail. Sure. And um, there was obviously other carriers, and, you know, they're not going in there and saying, oh, look how many thousands of people in the in you know this poor commu- immigrant community are getting sick. They clearly did not care about that. Well, that's, of course, right. Like, there's probably tons of other typhoid Stacys out there, but... Uh, <laughs> typhoid Stacey? Traditional Irish name of Stacey. I'm uh, going to name <laughs> my first child Typhoid Stacey. Um, yeah, that it's it's yeah, it's all like that. I mean, it's an interesting thing to talk about. If this was a different podcast, I would love to just, like, debate about the, you know, agency versus public good and all that stuff. Totally. But... Um, you know, we don't have time for that. So. That's true. We don't even have time really to speak for a chef recommends or a top three, although. Um, well, also, we couldn't really. <laughs> yeah, like. Chef recommends. Oh, no. We, we, chef recommends yeah. like best way to kill. No, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> it doesn't read well on air. I guess, you know, Bretton asked me this question one time, which maybe is more fitting. Um, if you had to be cooked yourself, what <laughs> method? Would you use a a braise, a a boil? Oh, no. Still doesn't sound good after the story we heard earlier.
1: (laughs) It's not as funny anymore. That's such a sad,
0: terrible thing. Okay, okay. How about this? Sure. If... (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sure it's going to be fucked up. Let's hear it. No. Um. (laughs) Listen, this is a comedy thing that we're doing here. That's true. Go ahead. So let's not be too down about this. So I just... (laughs) I don't think... Being like burned and drowned are like my two least favorite ways to die. Sure. So, I would want to go out like the way that they <laughs> like kill the what's like that thing that's like they stab the ortlon. No, the like, they just eel, they just stab them through the. Oh. but they peel them while they're still alive. Don't oh, they? that's terrible. Okay, yeah. So don't do that. I'd like to be like an ortlon, which they like drowned in burg and brandy or something. Oh yeah. And they feed it like tons of food and then they drown it in brandy and then they, you know, you roast it and you bite right into its skull. Yeah, there's something like I was just speaking about the green crabs, like that invasive species in mm-hmm. Maine that they're yeah. trying to like get people to eat more. Yeah. Um, as a way to like help because there's like no stopping them. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> that's how the world actually ends. It's not global warming, <laughs> it's not Donald Trump, it's green crabs. I mean, they're decimating the seafood, like businesses in Maine. I love crabs. My cousin is allergic. They're supposedly delicious, um, but the way that they, they're they're very popular also in Italy, or maybe not Italy, but like across the ocean. Ah, yes, in Italy. Where they came from. Sure. Oh, of course. Dirty Um, Italian crabs. But they're so... (laughs) (laughs) Taking over everything. They're so popular there to be eaten that it's not a problem because, you know, people can't, there's a demand for them. Right, yeah. um, But the way that they're prepared, there's something that they do that's called like their last their last dance or something. that happens, like, right before they kill them, and it's just... What do they do? Do they actually dance with them? hmm Yeah, they take the teeny <laughs> tiny little... They're really small. <laughs> they, they do the crab? And they're like... Da-da-da. No, I don't know what they... You shouldn't <laughs> even start the story. I'm like, yeah, and then they do, like, a little dance, and then they're like... <laughs> clobber it with the hammer <laughs> and uh, they step on it with their shoe. That's amazing. <laughs> and they well, do like the scene in the little Mermaid where they chase Sebastian all around. the. Oh computer. my God. That's movie is problematic, but I do love it. <laughs> um, okay. Well, this has been a really fun episode. I laughed. I cried. I mm-hmm. realized I have typhoid fever. And right. now I passed it to you because I put some of my poop in your wine. You don't ever, you don't wash your hands. I've never seen you wash your hands. That's true. And, and you I used never, to work at your restaurant. <laughs> and you never will. And all you people who used to eat at Brucey, I put my dirty hands <laughs> in your food too in the stretch, And I took all the mouse poop and I told you it was black rice. But now you have typhoid. <laughs> did you ever have black rice there? <laughs> no. That's weird. Yes, we did. We did have black oh, rice. Oh, like squid ink ice? ice? Yes. Vanilla ice. That's um, enough. I think we should go. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Shut up. See you next week for part two. <laughs> Ask pasta. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network.